Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Or this says here, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met. I want you to notice the two words, first, and the word then. First, then. Seek first God's kingdom, then the other things. First, God's kingdom, then the other things. When we started this series on God first, the very first week, uh, the message was called, everything has a first. Everything in your life has a first. The enduring things in our lives were things that started by the word of the Lord. The other things are things that drop off and we're trying to make them work and we get burned out because they're not working. And oftentimes we realize it's because God didn't empower them because God's word didn't initiate them. The things that God doesn't initiate with his word, he won't empower. And then the second week, why God doesn't seem to fit. And the, the point of that is, is that we're trying to take all the things of God We're trying to take his word and prayer and fellowship with one another and fit them into our schedules and serving and small groups and all the things. And we're going, why don't those things fit in my life, Lord? And uh, and one of the reasons is because any time we try to fit God into our plans, he won't fit. But what we need to do is we need to start with God. So what do you do? You clear the board in your life. And at the beginning of the year is the best time to do it. You clear the board in your life and you put God things in first. And we went over that example with the boulders in the jar. We get the the God things in first, what God said first, and then our life fits around those things. God will never fit into your plans. You have to fit into God's plans. And instead of asking God to anoint us, if we'd find God's plans, you'd realize they're already anointed. And then last week I began to talk about a, a message called, Why the Church? Now, why did I go to that and God first? Because the first two messages were talking about putting God first. But most of the problems we have with Christianity is not between us and God. It's not that God's wrong or his word's wrong. It's between people. Because people don't usually meet Jesus first. They meet you first. That's the problem. They don't meet Jesus first, they meet you first, and they meet me first, and then they interpret Jesus, and then they get a, sometimes a, a, an off interpretation. Did anybody agree you've ever given an off interp- interpretation before? Yeah, we, we, we do that sometimes, and so uh, we were talking about why the church, and we, we were talking last week that 73% of the nation calls themselves a Christian, but yet 48% of people are post-Christian. Post-Christian means they did believe in God, but they're, they're not currently reading the word. They're not currently praying. They're not currently coming to church because they're post-Christian. Why are they post-Christian? Because many, many people look at the church as irrelevant, as something that it doesn't really relate to me. And so they begin to back off from church. In fact, statistically, last I heard, uh, the average person attendance and coming to a church comes to church 1.8 times a month. Why? Because they look at the church as something like an extra, sort of like the icing on the cake, but it's not really the cake. It's not really the important things in my life. Or they've been burned by the church. They've been hurt by the church. You ever heard that before? I have heard so many people hurt by the church, burned by the church. But can I tell you, it's not God who burned you. It's people. See, God works through people. And I I believe that uh, I don't know of a church that's ever set out to burn people. 
I don't know of a church who doesn't have a heart to truly, truly love people. But I think sometimes things get in the way. And, um, and I'm not making excuses for anybody or any church, but I am saying that I think sometimes over time people begin to change their methods or change what they do. So because there's been a rejection of the church for so long, I think what the church's response is is sort of like a, a spouse that their spouse is cheating on them. They begin to try to look more attractive. They begin to make up the difference and, and try to do things to to allure or to pull people in. So you've seen the whole attraction thing in the church where people are trying to, you know, the church is, the, is trying to be more trendy. I hope, I hope I look good. There's all this pressure on the church. Are we, are we coming across well? You know, do we have, I mean, I come from California. You know, do we have our skinny jeans on? Do we have our, you know, our things? Do we look good? Do we feel good? Do you have the smoke? Do you have the, the stuff that, it, I mean, because we're competing with the world. You know, and I don't disagree. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not against any church that's reaching people for Jesus. But can I tell you, when the church begins to feel the pressure of alluring people so that they can get their, their seats filled, what can happen is you start changing the priorities of the church, which validates the feeling that the church becomes irrelevant because people say, see, all they are is marketing. And all they are is trying to come across to sell me. I can see through that. Anybody ever see anything what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. But I think ultimately we need to come back and answer the question, why the church, if we want to seek first the kingdom of God? Because I tell you, seeking first the kingdom of God doesn't just have to do with you and God. It has to do with you and God and your relationship to his body. See, Jesus is called the head of the Come on, Jesus is called the head of the church, and the head has a body. Never do you see someone walking down the street and you go, oh, check out that head right there. Check out that head right there. No, no, no. He's, the head's always attached to a body. And can I tell you, Jesus is part of the body of Christ. So if we reject the church, we reject Jesus. If we reject the church, we reject Jesus. And can I tell you, you and I are only one piece of the body. Say you're the finger. The body cannot function with a finger and a head. And you may say, well, but I'm not part of a church that, that's got it all together. Well, can I tell you, even the, the most highly trained athlete in here would say there's things in their life they don't have it all together. They're always working on something. And can I tell you, the church has something to work on. I believe the Lord is showing this and laying this down uh, even about why the church and, and understanding our relationship with the church because as we start, we're four months old as a church. I want to tell you that as I've been studying the word, I can see that there's four foundations of the church. Last week I was praying. The Holy Spirit down on the inside asked me this question. question. I didn't hear an audible voice, but just this question came upon me on the inside, and it was this. It was, what are the fundamentals of the church? Now, I wasn't even thinking about that. What are, the, what are the fundamentals? What are the foundations of the church? And I stopped and I said, well, um, really I was going to say, I'm not praying about that Lord right now. I'm, I'm praying about something else. But I thought maybe if he pointed it out, it would be important. Okay, so I said, well, uh, prayer, um, the word of God, um, you know, uh, gathering and fellowshipping with one another. And the scripture that came to me, I went back to the book of Acts, and this is where we begin to teach out of last week. It says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Can you say that with me? Say the apostles' doctrine, and then say the word of God. They continued steadfastly. Listen, the apostles' doctrine in fellowship. Say fellowship. Say breaking of bread and say prayer. 
Those are the four foundations, fundamental foundations of the church. Back in the book of Acts, this was the same chapter that they had all just been touched by the Holy Spirit, and they all began to speak in other tongues. They all began to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on their lives. And the Bible says in that same chapter that they gathered together in the temple, that would be like here in the bigger gatherings, and house to house, that would mean by themselves like small groups. And they would gather together, and these were the four things they would do in those two settings. They would have the Word of God. Can I tell you, every time we come together, we're going to have the Word of God. I know you appreciate, you know, a story and an example and, and those things, but we're always going to, it's always going to come from the word of God. Can someone say amen? Okay. Number two is fellowship, and we talked about last week about fellowship. Fellowship cannot happen with unbelievers. We went over it last week, if you don't, if you don't believe me. The Bible says, what fellowship has light with darkness? And, and it says in 1 John chapter 1, it says, we want to tell you these things that we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with one another. In other words, we're trying to have fellowship with unbelievers. You know, some people say, well, my best friends are in the world, you know, because I can't really relate to Christians. Well, that's, you know, I understand Jesus was a friend of sinners. But can I tell you, you don't have fellowship with unbelievers. You can't. Because in the, in the book of Acts, when it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, those things actually went together. It was doctrine and fellowship around the word of God. Well, how do you know, number one, if it's the word of God, it always produces faith. If you walk away from someone teaching the word of God, you walked out of here with more faith in your heart. If you walked out of here impressed with the preacher, or should I say, if you walked out of here more impressed with the preacher than you were filled with faith, then the word of God wasn't taught. The word of God has to be taught. Why? Because in Romans 10, 17, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith always comes when the word of God is taught. And then fellowship, what is the point of fellowship? It should strengthen you and encourage you. You should walk away from one another and be stronger and encouraged with one another. If you get around believers and you walk away more down in the dumps than when you came, that wasn't good fellowship. What does fellowship do? Fellowship strengthens you. Fellowship encourages you. Fellowship lifts you up. The other two things I want to share about today is breaking of bread and prayers. Can you say breaking of bread and prayers? Uh, the word breaking of bread, it's also known as Holy Communion. It's also known as the Lord's Supper. It's also known as Eucharist, okay? Um, different terms for that, but it's really communion. I know that some people say, so communion is one of the foundations of the church? Uh, that's, isn't that just something we do every once in a while? No, it's, it's, really, it's really a foundation of the church, and I'll show you why. Because I believe communion, and I'll make the statement up front, I, I believe this communion is the church's call to outreach. It's the church's call to sharing Jesus. I remember when I was a kid and they'd pass communion, we, we, had the, we didn't have the crackers that were already pre-cut, you know. We had the crackers like saltines or something like that where they'd cut. Anybody ever raised with the, uh, with the different size crackers, right? You'd have bigger crackers and smaller crackers. And as a little kid, which one were you looking through? You were looking for the big cracker, right? And so, you know, I remember sometimes you want to scoot those other crackers over to get the big cracker, right? And then there's the grape juice, and sometimes they wouldn't fill it up with, with, uh, with equity, right? They would, some would have more juice, and some would have less juice. Which one do you think you'd want to grab? You'd want to grab the full juice and the full cracker, right? Now, we think, oh, that's funny. That's just us today. No, that was in the book of Acts in the, in the Corinth church. 
Paul rebuked them because he said, hey, you guys eat at home. <laughs> and don't try to get your tamales or whatever you, you have in church, right? Eat at home. Eat at home. Eat. Don't come to church to eat. Because it wasn't just little saltine crackers or things like they had. No, it was loaves of bread, right? So people would come in communion, and they'd walk in, and they'd say, I didn't have breakfast today, but I smell some hot bread <laughs> up there, right, and some wine or, or whatever it is. Mm, we're going we're gonna to party in Jesus today, party in the Lord today. And he would say, no, 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 eat at home, because what would happen is the first ones to church would be the ones who got the communion. People who came late, they, they didn't get to partake. And so he was saying, that's not what communion's for. Communion's for sharing the blood and the body of Jesus. It's for sharing with one another. And so communion over the years can be something that's very shallow to us, or you could interpret however you feel about it. But something that I learned years ago is we need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Listen, we need to let the Bible interpret what we believe about the Bible. So as we're studying this for a moment, in fact, every week, can you just lay aside all your traditions all your religion, all the stuff that you, well, what I believe, well, just say, I, I don't know what I believe, okay, for a moment. And let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. Are, you, are we in agreement with that? And if you, if you believe me, just say, nod your head, yeah, you're in agreement with that? Okay. So I want to show you how I believe that the breaking of bread has to do with revealing Jesus, okay? Look in Acts chapter 2 and look on your verses here. I'm, I'm looking off the same notes you are. It says this. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Read that last verse with me a little bit louder. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, where did they break their bread? It was in the big gathering place, but they also did it house to house. Be honest with me for a moment. How many people in here have ever received communion in a house with someone else? Okay. Probably, probably about a quarter of us from house to house. But in the book of Acts, they received communion not only in, in there, but in house to house. And I know some of you might say, how do you receive communion I mean, where do you buy those crackers? I mean, where's the, where's the Christian bookstore, right? What do I do? I, I went to, uh, when I first came to, to Memphis, I'm a Southern California boy. Don't hold it against me, okay? But um, I visited 26 churches just to kind of see what the environment was, you know, out here. And I went down to a church. A few of us went down to a church down in Mississippi, I think it was. And in the service, they had communion service, and, you know, they were playing, and they had, like, two lines. But what I didn't realize was one line, there was, uh, you know, people would come up, and they would take a certain thing, and then they went, went another line. And so I thought, well, what's the difference between these two lines? And what I realized was one line was real wine, and one line was grape juice. Which line do you think was fuller? <laughs> <laughs> it was the real wine, right? <laughs> right. And uh, and I'll tell you what I what I wondered was I was saying I just feel like we need to we need to receive communion again, <laughs> right? No, no, no. Now I'm not saying that there's anything good or bad about that. I'm just saying we don't do real wine when we do it. We do grape juice, okay? We do grape juice. And someone says, is it wrong to do real wine? Well, no, it's not wrong to do real wine. In fact, back in the uh, you know back in the Old Testament, they probably did real wine. When Jesus passed the bread and the wine or the grape juice or whatever it is. It was a symbol, though, so it's less about the content 
it's less about how often you do it. I know that someone I was talking to uh, came here to church, and I said, are you going to come back? And they said, I don't know. I like a church that does communion every week. And I said, oh, okay, well, we haven't decided whether we're going to do it every week or not. We're brand new, right? I mean, so why don't you come until we figure that out? And then, then I thought, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe you can do it house to house too or something. But nevertheless, we do it once a month. On the first Sunday of every month, we have communion. It didn't say how often, and it didn't say exactly the contents. It just said that you needed to do it. But I want you to notice they did it house to house, which was outside of church. They received communion. I want you to notice, though, about this with evangelism. The Bible says that as they ministered in the, with the breaking of bread from house to house, that the Lord added to the church. There was something about communion, about the breaking of bread, that God added to the church. The church was functioning here as the church, in the word of God, in fellowship, in prayers, in breaking of bread. And as the church was being the church, the outreach wasn't necessarily going out and trying to get people into the church. No, the Lord was adding to the church, and the church lived outside of the church. They lived out in the world, and they would share the gospel and be the light out in the world, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But it wasn't the church trying to initiate evangelism. It was the church trying to be the church. And as the church was the church, the fundamentals of the church, the Lord said, I'll add to that church. I'll add to that church. See, many people want to leave the church, and they want to try to reach the world on their own. But can I tell you, the Lord never intended you to leave the church and try to reach the world on your own. The Lord wants the church to be the church. And you individually are not the church. Me individually is not the church. Can I tell you, this is our church. I'll sometimes, will gently, gracefully correct people when they'll say, hey, here at your church, do you have, and I'll say, my church? I thought you said that, you, that you're a part of Memphis Tabernacle now. Well, I am, but I'm saying your church. And I say, no, 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 how about I say here at your church? Because this is as much your church as it is my church. Isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Pastor. You know, I'm sorry, Pastor. Right? Because we're the church. You don't come to David's church. You come to Jesus' church. Amen. Yeah, this is Jesus' church. And so we're part of the church. So um, many people want to leave the church and try to reach the world on their own. But listen, in John 17, Jesus prayed that they may be one as you, Father, and me are one. That they, they is plural or, or singular. It's plural. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. I want you to notice that they may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. The unity of the church should be the greatest witness and attraction to Jesus that the world has ever seen. Let me say it again. The unity of the church. Listen, church. The unity of the church should be the greatest witness and attraction to Jesus that the world has ever seen. Jesus said, by this, in John chapter 13, by this they'll know that you're my disciples. Why? Because of how spiritual you are? No. Because of the love you have for one another. See, sometimes I think we can try to outreach out there 
and skip over our brothers and sisters that are right here in this room. I was talking to a pastor, and I've, I've shared this before, but I was talking to a pastor a while back, and he said, hey, what are you guys doing for outreach? I said, we're not doing much because we just started. I said, but we have done a few things for outreach, and I shared with him some of the things we're doing. And uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, we're about five years old or so. He said, but as we were praying, our leadership was getting together and praying and saying, what should we do in our city for outreach? He said, the Lord put the scripture on our hearts by this the people out there would know by the love you have for one another. He said, and the Lord uh, asked us the question, how are you loving one another? And they realized they, the way he said it, they suck at loving one another. Sorry, can I say that in church today? Yeah. They're not good at loving one another. But that yet they want to step on you to go get outreach out there to act like we got it all together. But can I tell you, the best Example, the best attraction, the best witness that we can have to the world about Jesus is the love that we have for one another. Somebody say amen. Hey, do this. Just stand up. We're not done. You see on the notes, stand up and hug somebody. Come on. Stand up, turn around and hug somebody. Stand up, turn around and hug somebody. Say, I love you, brother. All right, you can be seated. You can be seated. The unity of the church is the greatest witness and attraction of Jesus that we have. Well, what does the breaking of bread have to do with that? What does the breaking of bread have to do with that? Listen, this is where it gets good. This is where it gets good right here. The breaking of bread of Jesus, evangelism. Luke chapter 24, listen to this. Some of you have never seen this before. I know that I didn't. Luke chapter 24, verse 30 says, Now it came to pass as he, Jesus, sat at the table with them, that he, Jesus, took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. This is after Jesus was died and was raised from the dead. And they were like, you know, has he risen? There's rumors that he's risen. And then they're like, well, where is he? And Jesus is sitting at the table with them, and they didn't know it was Jesus, obviously. And so what did he do? He took bread, he broke it. And he gave it to them. And as they ate it, their eyes were open. And they saw Jesus. When were their eyes open? When they ate the bread. When, when were their eyes open? When they took communion. Something happened that their eyes were open. And if you don't believe that, if you think, well, is that really what it's saying? Well, look in verse 35. It says, and they told about the things, they went out and witnessed, they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he, Jesus, was known to them in the what? How was Jesus known to them? When they broke bread. There's something about communion. Do I understand it? I don't. There's something about communion that opens people's eyes to Jesus. There's something about the body taking communion together. When you're together, maybe in a small group, when we're together in church and we have unbelievers that are sitting around and we say, hey, let's receive communion together. And as the bread is broken and as they take it, that Jesus is revealed. Jesus was revealed in the breaking of bread. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Meaning that if you just took one verse out of the Bible and started making a doctrine out of that, that, that's called false doctrine. Because you could take any verse and make it say anything. You could make it say all kinds of things. But I like to go and say, where are two or three witnesses where the same thing happened? Don't you like to say that? That's, that's sound doctrine, okay? So in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, 
He says, and when he had given thanks, telling back about Jesus, he broke it and said, listen, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. He's telling back of what Jesus did. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, I want you to notice what you do. You proclaim, what is proclaiming? Proclaiming is evangelism. Listen, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we're eating of the bread and drinking of the cup, it's we're saying something. We're proclaiming something about the Lord's death. And what happens? People come to Jesus. People's eyes are open to Jesus. I want to point out uh, three different things about this. Number one, broken. He says broken. Uh, broken has something to do with sharing. Uh, how many just went on a 21-day fast and just finished our 21-day fast? Let me commend you and let me say it's not just about fasting. It's about opening up our hearts to receive from the Lord. I hope that you received something from the Lord and I would love to hear more testimonies about that as well. I have some testimonies as well. But let me uh, share with you, now that we're done with fasting, I can share with you an example about a cookie, okay? Because I don't want to tempt you. If I had a cookie, okay, and I come up to uh, Andre and I say, hey, Andre, I want to share with you my cookie. And uh, you come up next to me, you say, hey, Dave, how are you doing? I say, I'm doing good and I have this cookie in my hand. I'm doing good and I say, hey, this is my cookie. Do you want some? But I just keep the cookie in my hand like this. You want some? And he's like, no, I don't want to take your cookie. That's cool. And I say, all right. Well, I offered, right? Because I kind of let him know I offered him. Did I offer him the cookie? Yeah. But what if I did this? I took the cookie and I broke the cookie. And I said, you want some? What did I just do? Did I offer the cookie? Did I really offer the cookie from my heart? There's something about the breaking of bread. That it's not just about Jesus throwing bread on the table and says, want some? No, Jesus came and said, there's an intentional act that I'm going to have. I'm not just going to come down and lay there and someone's going to kill me. No, he said the son of man doesn't have his life taken from him, but he gives it. He, 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 he broke, he allowed the brokenness to happen. Why? And he said, when my body was broken, guess who it was broken for? It was broken for you. So there's something about the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread and the handing of bread that says, I'm really committed, like that cookie, I'm really committed. I don't know, you want some cookie? By the time I broke it and put it out there, man, if you don't take my cookie, that's almost rude. When Jesus breaks his body and puts it out there and says, hey, look at all that I did for you. Take it in remembrance of me. And what does it do? It opens up our eyes to understand the gospel. Another word he uses, he says, in remembrance of me. You know, today we have iPhones, we have Androids, we have different devices that we have all of our pictures on, right? And uh, you ever have a grandparent, you know, want to say, do you have grandkids? Oh, yeah, you want to see them? You know, and you're thinking, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to stand here for five minutes and see your, all your grandkids. Yes, please show me your grandkids, okay? That's, that's, what I was, that's why I was asking, right? Okay, but they're going to show you all their grandkids. What are they doing? They're trying to show you their life. They're trying to show you their meaning. They're trying to show you something about. Back then, they didn't have pictures. They didn't have iPhones. But you know what the breaking of bread is? It's a picture of the breaking of Jesus. It's a, almost a little drama to say, here's what happened with Jesus. You know, like when we're, we're in Sunday school and they have the, the boards and they have the you know, different things and they're, they're sharing with you about what happened in the Bible story. It's almost a personal drama that he says, even though you have better devices to show this, can you for the rest of eternity take a piece of bread and break it in half and show what, just like a picture of what Jesus did. Hey, watch this. This was Jesus' body. 
See, Jesus' body was broken so that yours didn't have to be. And then what happens? People's eyes are open. Why? They see the picture. They see the example. Was broken from you. And then he says, and you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What is he saying? He's saying this message is going to go on and on and on and on. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're telling others about the death of the Lord until he comes. First Corinthians says in the New Century Version. So can you see how the breaking of bread is outreach? It's evangelism. It's the opening of people's eyes to Jesus. And then number four is prayer. Prayer. I don't think anyone denies that prayer is important in their lives. I think just a lot of people don't pray. And I think one of the reasons they don't pray is people don't know how to pray. And people don't know why they pray. And, and people have misunderstandings about prayer. But I just want to read what the Bible says about prayer. And let's let the Bible interpret prayer. He says in the book of Acts, this was before the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Who all continued? All the disciples. All the church. They didn't have a 1.8 a month ratio. They stayed actually every day for 50 days. They waited and waited and waited. Why? Because the coming together of the church was an important thing, and Jesus commanded them to do it. And then in Acts chapter 2, it says, And when the day of Pentecost, penta means five, this is 50 days later, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly. They were all where? In one accord, in one place, and suddenly. They made a decision. Well, do you think it was because it was they were bored and they didn't have anything else to do? No. It was because Jesus commanded them to come together. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, don't draw away from one another, but come together often, especially now as you see the day approaching. Can I tell you, it's important for the church to come together. It's important for you to come to church. I was just, you know, I was just raised in church, and I don't want to put off on you exactly, you know, my commitment level or w what I've done. But, I mean, I think when I was, you know, at church, I went about 12 years straight without missing church. I mean, just really, I just didn't miss church. You know, I, I just would never miss church. Just because it wasn't because it was religion or I felt like I had to. It was just, I, I always just went to church because I knew I was part of the church. And I think it's important to come together. Can we just say right up front that Memphis Tabernacle is not a flaky church? Yeah, come on. Church, come on. Say we're not a flaky church. But we come together to be the church. See, that's who we are. I speak that over me and you and all of us. We're the church together. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and one place. And suddenly, what happened? Suddenly came to those who were diligent to be together. Sometimes we pray for suddenly. God, would you, would you do a suddenly in my life? And God's like, seriously? You don't even go to church. <laughs> do a suddenly in my room. Do you think the suddenly would have happened if they hadn't been together? No. In fact, Jesus said, don't go out and start witnessing. Wait till the powers come upon you, and then you won't do witnessing. You'll be a witness. Because the church is a witness. The church didn't begin in a boardroom. The church didn't begin in a planning session. The church began in a prayer service. The church began in a prayer service. Can I tell you where Memphis Tabernacle was born? In prayer. Started, first of all, in my own heart. When I was praying... When Tiffany was praying, we were, I looked at Mark. I'm not married to Mark. I'm married to Tiffany. Yeah. When I was praying, and sorry, Mark, it's like getting weird right there. Okay. Uh, 
when I was praying and I looked down and, and Tiffany and I said, Tiffany, I just, God's stirring our hearts and something. We begin to pray and we both confirmed God said, go plant a church. And, when, and then we, we came together and realized that the Lord was calling us to a church in Memphis, Tennessee. We didn't initiate this church. People will come and say, thank you for, thank you for coming. And I say, I, we didn't initiate this church. If we wouldn't have come, you know what would have happened? Someone else would have come. The Lord would have sent someone else. But the Lord sent us. Maybe that's the best he could get. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry, Lord. <laughs> I wonder sometimes how many people said no before he asked us, you know. <laughs> I tried to get about 300 people come. Finally, I got to you. I don't, I don't know what the case may be, but I'll tell you what he did. He's got me. But this was initiated by the word of the Lord. Can I tell you, things that happen in your life supernaturally are all initiated by the word of the Lord. God starts them, God speaks them, you obey them, and then God carries them out. Always, that's how it happens. Always, that's how it happens. So in prayer, the church didn't begin in a boardroom or a planning session. It started in a prayer service, Acts 12.5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer. Say constant prayer. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Notice, by the church. You think they were all praying in their separate homes? No, they had come together, and they were constantly praying for Brother Peter. Lord, I pray for Brother Peter. Get Brother Peter out of jail, Lord. I don't know what they do in those jails, Lord. They were just praying for Brother Peter. And what happened? They were praying and praying and praying and praying. And eventually, Brother Peter got out of jail. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, Jesus said, My house, see, Jesus walked in and saw them operating church in a different way and he said what's happening here what are y'all doing there I go I'm southern what are y'all doing Jesus said he came up to the church what are y'all doing you religious people he said my house shall be called a house of what but you made it something else you made it religious you're trying to sell things You're trying to make a a, a duty thing. You're trying to take the things that I commanded, which really was to get people's hearts drawn back to God, and you're trying to make a living off it, and you're trying to sell product. Man, get this stuff. Get this. (laughs) I'll go back to Nacho Libre. Get that corn out of my face. (laughs) I shouldn't. Okay, sorry. (laughs) He said, man, get this stuff out the temple. Get this stuff out the temple. What did he say? He said, my house shall be called what? A house of what? Prayer. Can I tell you, if there's one thing that we're going to be, we're going to be a house of prayer. Somebody says amen. We're going to be a house of prayer. Why? Because prayer involves us and God. And without God, we're jacked up. Without God, we're messed up. Without God, we're on our own and we're in trouble. We need God. And I'll tell you why people are going to show up to this church. They're going to show up to this church because God comes to this church. Now he goes to other churches too. But I'm just glad God attends our church. Come on, somebody say, I'm glad God attends my church. God comes to this church. This house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it something else. Why the church? Here's the three reasons. I'm just going to break it down. One, you can't do these four things on your own. You cannot do the four things, fundamentals of the church, by yourself. Number two, God created us as a part of something bigger. We're a part of something bigger. It's kind of like a puzzle. You can buy a 500-piece puzzle and dump it out and pick up one of the pieces. Is there a picture on that piece? There is. Is that the whole picture? No. That's what happens to us. We say, I can just do it me and God because, look it, I have part of the picture. No, you have a part of something that's a lot bigger than you. 
And can I tell you, you cannot make the church happen by yourself, just you and God. But also, without you as being a functioning part of the church, we're missing something. We're missing something. We're like a puzzle that has holes. Man, I, for a, we, we every once in a while do a puzzle with my family. And can I tell you the biggest irritation is when you get to the end, end and, and there's like two pieces missing. And it was like a 750-piece puzzle and there's two pieces missing. Man, I'm telling you, I'm something. But can I tell you, that's a picture of the church. That's a picture of the church. Is that he's got this beautiful picture, church. Let me tell you, family. If we would come together and just be your part, you don't have to be the puzzle. You don't have to be the whole picture. You just be your part. You just be your part. Then God will do something beautiful in all of us. You can't do it alone. You cannot do these four things on your own. God created us to be a part of something bigger. The church is not only for you, but you for the church. The church is not only for you, but you for the church. I think a lot of times we say, why would I come to church? Because I don't really need that today. So is it all about what you need and what you don't need? What about someone else who needs your prayer today? What about someone else who needs your smile and your greeting? What about someone else who needs the words that you come to church and you see a brother or sister across the room and God puts on your heart to go strengthen them and encourage them today. And you just said, I, I ain't going. What happens to them? See, because we're all part of the church. We're all part of the body. People want the results of the book of Acts, but they don't want the commitment of the book of Acts. <laughs> Look, and I say it with a smile. Don't get mad at me. People want the results of the book of Acts, but they don't want the commitment of the book of Acts. Somebody say, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Same Holy Spirit isn't an old man now. And he still wants to pour out his spirit upon us. He wants to pour out his spirit upon Memphis, Tennessee. God wants to pour out his spirit on Memphis Tabernacle. But can I tell you, a, a, a great candidate for that is if the church will start being the church. Coming together, seeking God, seeking his word, fellowshipping with one another, loving one another, being who he's called us to be. Waiting sometimes. Putting aside our own agenda sometimes. And coming and being God why? So that he can pour out his spirit on the body and the, the head can get connected to the body. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Hey.